Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Let's pray as we stand. Heavenly Father, we do indeed ask for the mind of Christ. We ask for our minds and our hearts, our eyes, our whole lives to be fixed on him. We pray, Father, that uh, you would enable us uh, to do that in our youth. Uh, that as we uh, move towards our final days on this earth, each day will be filled uh, with minds and hearts that are captured by him. And so we pray that you will do that for us by your spirit and through your word this night. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. And uh, please uh, turn back into Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11 and into 12, uh, page 676 of the Church Bibles, our last look at Ecclesiastes for some time. And no cheering, please. (laughs) Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11 and 12, page 676. There is uh, a certain uh, romanticism and uh, affection, even uh, a uh, good-hearted, good-natured sense of humour about old age within our society. They are the golden years, uh, years that we've worked hard to enjoy, years of potential, at least, leisure, Uh, years of being able to live wisely, having learnt the lessons of life, lessons that the foolishness of youth can't know, uh, but through the passing of time, golden years, a time that uh, should you be blessed with them to enjoy grandchildren and then enjoy being able to hand them back. A time of uh, being able to do uh, simple things that you've not had the time to do, sitting uh, reading books in the sunshine. Uh, I remember where we we lived in uh, Sydney, there was a man who lived directly across from my study and I watched he would spend hours of every day just sitting in his front room uh, with a book, either reading or uh, sleeping. Beautiful. And then there is, uh, as I said, the good-natured humour that surrounds old age. My, uh, my brother and I um, had a determined uh, goal of seeing my father grow bald uh, before his time. And my brother would uh, enthusiastically rub my dad's head uh, and celebrate each hair that disappeared. Unfortunately, uh, God had a, a better sense of humour than either my brother or I, and my dad still has a reasonable head of hair, more than my brother. And I suspect more than me uh, in time. And then there was this sign that uh, my father showed me some years ago and he said it was his plan. It said, avenge yourself. Live long enough to be a trouble to your children. (laughs) And so there is uh, humour and there is romance around uh, old age. There is affection towards it. Even within the scriptures, uh, grey hair, we're told in the Bible, is a crown of splendour. Uh, To live um, long and full of years is a sign of God's favour. Now Moses himself lived for 120 years and in none of those years were his eyes or his strength dimmed. But Moses' experience is not the common lot of men and women, nor will it be our experience. And beyond the romance and the good-natured humour, there is more to be said, more that must be said about ageing. If we are to be true of our experience, the real experience of life under the sun. For behind the romance is an unrelenting tragedy. The golden years are called that because the sun is setting. 
Uh, for most of us, there will come the tragic failure of mind and nerve and bodily function long before death itself. Uh, we'll remember either of ourselves or those we love how they were and then we'll see how they have become. The ageing process is unstoppable. It is relentless. Uh, the former president of the United States, Ronald Reagan, upon discovering uh, that he had Alzheimer's, uh, said this, I now begin the journey that will lead into the sunset of my life. And we can echo his words, for we too have begun that journey. We began it the day we were born under the sun. Beyond the romance of the golden years is the conclusion of uh, the poet T.S. Eliot. Uh, when he comes to this conclusion about the, the last phase of life, he says it is like the valley of dying stars. Concluded his poem uh, with that line in it with these words, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. Truth is, uh, the poetry we find here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 as we come to the end of this book makes T.S. Eliot look like an amateur. Uh, the words in Ecclesiastes 12 are very carefully written by the teacher. They are beautiful, hauntingly beautiful poetry. But the beauty of them, as it was read to us uh, by Fred so well just before, only heightens the sadness. We are being told the truth here. Truth about the end of life under the sun. Days that uh, chapter 12 verse 1 says are troubling days, more literally evil days. And what we have in verses 1 to 8 is the picture painted vividly of those days. And so just for a few moments, uh, walk with me through those first eight verses of chapter 8. I don't intend to pin down all the details, that's not the point of poetry. These verses are full of pathos, they echo our own experience. Now verse 1, the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. And not everyone, not any of us will age the same way, but here is the inevitable path. Life ebbs away to the point that you could reach the sentiment of verse 1 where you may even say, I find no pleasure in life. There may come a day in those last days when you wake and you are disappointed that you have. Now that might seem uh, over the top and sombre, but many of you will know of people with that very experience. Uh, visiting my grandmother, my last uh, remaining uh, grandparent, uh, just back in January, who uh, in this last year has lost the love of her life, her husband of uh, some 65 years. And she told me about her day, her daily plan. This is her day. I get up as late as I can. I go to bed as early as I can to hope each day is as short as possible. It's like some cruel parody of a kid marking the days till Christmas. And that's the picture we get as we continue to run our fingers over these verses. Verse 2, before the sun and the rain and light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. A time uh, when we physically experience perpetual bad weather. It's no longer the sunshine returning after the storm. It's just a new set of clouds. Uh, more storms, more rain, more trouble. Uh, the days of sunshine, of pomp and power, they fade. Uh, the days where we had memory and wit and our sharp mind. The teacher says in Life Under the Sun, those days will come, and let's call them what they are, evil days, when the mind fades. 
when memory and creativity is dulled and will and wit slip from our grasp, such that uh, we move towards, as Reagan put it, the sunset. And it's not just our mental and emotional vigour that fails us. Verse 3 onwards catalogues uh, with great vividness the failure of the body when the keeper of the house, keepers of the house tremble. And he's speaking of our arms and our hands as they tremble that we can't keep them still and it only gets worse. You know that feeling? I, I was born uh, with a, a standing tremor. My hands shake a little bit. It's not because I'm nervous. It's because they just do that. I suspect that will get worse. The keepers of the house tremble. Strong men stoop. Simple tasks now more and more difficult until they are impossible. So frustrating. So wrong. We were made with these capabilities, these capacities, these strengths. And almost imperceptibly they withdraw from us. And when the grinders cease because they are few and the sound of grinding fades, it's one for the dentists. And then those looking through the windows grow dim, the dimming of sight. And verse 4, it's even sleep frustrates us. Sleep is elusive and brief. You wake early as if disturbed by the morning birds, but it can't be the morning birds that disturbed you because their song has grown mute. Uh, Hearing has faded. And then verse 5, there is the fear that accompanies all of this. Uh, You get slower and less stable while all around you seems to be gathering pace. And yes, uh, grey hair may be a crown of splendour, but they give out the trophies at the end of the game. Truth is, everything fades, even desire, we're told. In verses uh, 5 to 7, we see that our lives between now, the time now, and all eternity is held together by very fragile mechanisms, which will, at the appointed time, fail us. The silver cord will sever or the golden bowl break, or the pitcher shatter at the spring, or the wheel broken at the well. As sin entered the world uh, in Genesis 2, as man and woman uh, chose to go away from God to live for themselves and not him, as we too have lived that way, God comes to us and says, from dust you came, and dust you will return. Throughout all the process of ageing and dying, there is this growing grief of what is lost that we can't get back. An experience that when death finally comes, it leaves in its wake nothing but grief. That's what verse 5 says. Mourners go about the streets. We must feel the weight of this. This is uh, not a picture of an experience we don't know. This is an experience of life under the sun. But this is no normal phase, just the next phase in the normal nature of life. This is a cruel intrusion into life. This never should have been. But it is life under the sun. And this here is the teacher's final proof of his conclusion that he's been saying all the way through this book. Death graffitis over our life. Havel. Meaningless. Vapor. All of our life, all of our achievements rendered that way by death that we are powerless before and so he repeats his conclusion one final time in verse 8 meaningless and so here we are at the end of ecclesiastes phew and it seems as if here in these last verses he saved his most profound blow in his demolition job of all of life under the sun for these final verses 
Having already, uh, throughout these chapters, dismantled everything else that we hold dear in life, our wealth, our work, our leisure, our pleasure, relationships, you name it, everything dismantled, he now aims his words at our very life and breath. And so here's my question, why? Why does he keep going at us like this? Why is he so relentless in his demolition job of all that we hold dear in life? Is it meant to lead us to despair? Is it like the car bumper sticker that I heard about recently that said, I I feel so much better now that I've given up all hope? Is, Is that the point of Ecclesiastes? Just give up. Is the teacher bringing us to the point of a sort of numb acceptance of the inevitable in life? Uh, I mean, death's the big reality of life, isn't it? Can't do much about it, just, just give up. Is he saying there's no point? Give up now? Well, yes. And no. This lesson is to actually lead us in the opposite conclusion direction altogether. His design is, yes, to shatter our idols, uh, be it life or breath or anything else, to see that in the end all of this, all of this, even our bodies and our minds and our hearts will fail us. And if I have built my little kingdom of life on any of these things, that kingdom, that life will crumble to dust. The teacher has aimed to lead us to the place where we finally give up on ourselves to see that that will fail us. But God and his word remains, only he remains. And so let me encourage you as we come to the end of this book not to breathe too big a sigh of relief uh, that after Easter there'll be something else, perhaps something a a bit more cheerful than Ecclesiastes. Don't breathe too big a sigh of relief because we need this testimony. Uh, We need it to continue to ring in our hearts because if we stop long enough to listen, and not hurry back to building our sort of kingdoms of sand, we will at last be free to actually live. And live in light of, yes, the troubling reality of death, but also live in light of the much, much bigger reality, and that is of our creator God. The teacher's ambition in this stark reality of death and dying as it is given us is to cause us to remember beyond even death this bigger reality of our God. Not just then at the end, but now, right now. And so he says to us in chapter 12, verse 1, do you see it there? Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Do you see what God is doing in this final chapter? This Ecclesiastes is life 101. This is how to live. Life under the sun. He is stripping back all our illusions to call us back to himself. And so he says, right now, today, right now, tonight, whatever point you are on, on the journey to the sunset, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And remember here, it's not just some sort of meaningless memory exercise of something that doesn't really matter. We've all had to go through that, perhaps with study in the past. Uh, To stay in Britain, I had to pass what was called the Life in Britain test. I can lend you the book if you like. It is filled with pointless facts that I'm pretty sure that virtually no one in this room would be able to answer useless most of them have now gone from my memory that's not the sort of memory that we're being called to here Uh, to remember in 12 verse 1 is to drop every sense of self-sufficiency to cast yourself unreservedly on your creator and sustainer to fix your heart on him to remember him is that in the words of psalm 137 to to have him be your highest joy 
so that wherever you are on the journey, he is the joy set before you. He is where you're aiming at. Such that you can echo the words of Psalm 73, some of my favourite words in all of Scripture. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That is what remembering God looks like. And it's a daily decision. Every day of your youth, he is your highest joy. A daily aligning of your heart, remember him. Now this is how uh, the Christian George Mueller put it. I saw more clearly than ever that the first and great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. That's the call. And the time frame is clear. We are to do this in our youth. Now here's the good news story for tonight. Uh, youth, uh, for the scriptures, is a far more relaxed term than, uh, than our society has. Our society maybe has youth being a few years right at the start of, um, up to the end of teenage years. But when the, the Bible talks about youth, it's, uh, it's a lot more generous. Uh, Paul, when he's writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy, uh, describes the uh, uh, Timothy, who's probably in his mid-40s. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. A youth is a reference to any point where youth and vigour remains. While you live and breathe, while you can think, while your heart is beating, that is your youth. And that is the time to remember your creator. And so here's the challenge of God's word. Procrastination is not an option. Today, right now, today is the day to set your heart on him as your highest joy. That's 12 verse 1. You've got just one life, one crowded hour. You dare not presume on the future. You dare not get stuck forever in the past. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Because life is short and the sun is setting, so set your joy on the one who made you. Now there will be some here who have never lived a day with him as their joy, their purpose for living. Today is the day to start doing that. There will be others here who will know much of him having heard of your creator many days and many years of your youth. But you don't remember him, except perhaps as one would, an acquaintance you meet from time to time. But he's more jealous than that. He demands your life, your soul, your all, and why not? He made you, he sustains you, the breath you are breathing now comes from his power, and he loves you. And so the teacher says, don't forget about him. Because how you handle this moment, this moment right now, shapes however many moments you have left to come. Don't today run from him, from him after some fading joy. Remember him. And as we finish this series, I, I want to finish by showing you what a heart, a life looks like when it remembers its creator. How does such a heart, such a life uh, walk this journey towards the sunset? Uh, Three things as we move towards a close. Here's the first of them. It's in chapter 11, verse 7. The one who remembers their creator lives life to the full. Such a great verse, 11, verse 7. Light is sweet and it pleases the eye to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. The scripture says, now is the time, having surveyed all of life and said that ultimately it's vapour, the merest breath of a breath. He doesn't say give up, he says seize the day. 
And it starts with the simplest of gifts, doesn't it? Verse 7, things like sunshine. Sunshine is sweet and it pleases the eye. How good has this last week been? Incredible. Day after day of sun. It's like uh, God has sort of copy-pasted each day, this beautiful day after one after another. How good has that felt to have the sort of the warmth on your back? Great. And God says, enjoy that. But beyond the literal experience of sunshine is the experience that uh, really is being spoken of in verse 7. It's the opposite to chapter 12, verse 2, where it was the uh, cloud after cloud after cloud. He's speaking of those moments in life that are full of light, that are just great. Life can be beautiful, can't it? Times when everything seems to be working, when the sun is on your back, metaphorically, when life is deep and good. Well, love those moments. Enjoy them. They're a gift. The one who remembers their creator will enjoy them as that, as very good gifts from his hand. It is, as 1 Timothy 4 says, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Enjoy your life. The one who remembers their creator will not live fearfully or resentfully or begrudgingly as to what they haven't received. Rather, they'll enjoy the gifts given with thankfulness. And it's not just the gifts that do come across your path either. Enjoying life to the full is also a proactive pursuit. Have a look at chapter 11, verse 9. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Follow your heart. That's God's instruction to you. It's the heart that drives the way you live. So follow it. And a heart in the habit of remembering its creator is a driven, purposeful heart. It is as uh, Colossians 3 verse 1 says, uh, we are to set our hearts on things above. Our hearts must be set beyond the sun, beyond just life and the sun, beyond all the gifts that he gives, but set on him where he is. Otherwise, as Jesus says himself in Matthew 6, our hearts will only ever yearn for what we eat and drink or what we look like or what we will be in life or what relationships we might have or what other, others think of us or our success or our health or our homes or our children. That will be the apex of our heart's desires. But these things will fail us. But what the gospel of Jesus Christ does for us, the gospel of the one from beyond the sun, is it places in our hearts a whole new desire. Which, unlike the things we used to yearn for, this desire won't disappoint us because it is our creator himself. We are to set our remembrance, our hearts on things above because that's where he is. And when you do that, what a powerful, dangerous heart under the sun you have. If you have a heart that is fixed on him, that is an incredibly powerful heart. And so he says, follow it and see where he leads you. It's an incredible thing to be one whose heart is driven by and fixed on the one above. I've got a friend, Scott, that I've told you about many times uh, over, over the years. Uh, this isn't a funny story about Scott. This is uh, the real Scott, the heart of Scott. Uh, we were sitting together one night in our university years in a church just like this one in, in Sydney, and a man came from South Africa, and he was preaching for us. And in the middle of his sermon, he said, I want a place on the heart of maybe one or two people here that you will leave Sydney and you will come to Cape Town and you will... Be trained for ministry there and you will serve the rest of your life in South Africa. Now Scott said to me after the, uh, the service, he says, I, I reckon that's me. 
I think he was talking about me. Within six months, Scott had left for Cape Town. He's still there. Uh, the heart that is fixed on its creator, the, heart that, the person that then follows that heart, that's a dangerous heart, wonderful heart. I met a guy uh, here in our church family who told me he wants to retire as soon as he can, not to uh, sit in his front room and snooze, but to use his gifts uh, for a Christian movement that he is passionate about. I can't wait till he retires. What of the Norgates, Jonathan and Zoe Norgate, our our mission partners, uh, just this week uh, moved back to Cambodia after all they've been through in these recent weeks. Incredible. And just this morning I heard that they have gone back to their home in Phnom Penh. Why would you do that? After all that they've gone through, surely there's a huge impulse to just come back here. It's safer here. It's simpler here. The children want to be here. Why would you do that? Well, only a heart set on Jesus, only a heart set on that joy before them would make that decision. So follow your heart. And what of your heart this night? Remembering Jesus, fixed on him. What paths will he lead you on here in Sheffield, in your families, in this church family? Uh, For the youth who are here, are you plotting great paths in your heart that look beyond A-levels, beyond university courses? What is it that he will set on your heart? Uh, For the workers, let me encourage you, don't let your I want to do this become I wish I had. Uh, Those uh, moving towards and perhaps planning retirement, let it not be a time to ease back, but to follow your heart. And for those well into retirement, what will your verse be in the days he gives you still of youth? We are to live life to the full in light of the coming day of dying and death. The window is short. But it doesn't lead to despair. It does the opposite. This exhortation is wonderful. Death hasn't reached out to us yet. It can shake its chains all it likes at us. But all it will do is stir us to live all the more. It is, as I once heard, apparently a a British pilot captain before a bunch a bombing raid for his for his team. He told them, "What I want you to do tonight is I want you to fly like dead men. Fly like dead men. Fly like you're not coming back." Uh, That's to be us as well. We are to fix our hearts on the one we are journeying to, beyond the sunset, the one who is beyond the sun, Jesus himself. We have this day, one life, one body, one mind, one heart, all given to us by our creator. Live life in light of that. Live life in light of the fact in chapter 11, verse 9, that you do everything you do in this life before his eyes, before his judgment. Doesn't that simplify life? You're not living for others' pleasure. You're not living to please other people. You are living for him alone. It is, as uh, the, the, show, the TV show The West Wing said, their classic line uh, that they said, is they said, I serve at the pleasure of the president. You serve at the pleasure of your creator. You serve for his well done and no one else's. So follow your heart. And two last things, one briefly and then the, the third Second one, the one who remembers their creator isn't afraid of life and its frailty. The more we remember him, the more our fears over searching for meaning and purpose in other things will fade. Even our fear of the sunset, even our fear of dying will fade. Those puny fears will be replaced by a real fear. The only fear that becomes creatures made in the image of God. Do you see the fear? Chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. 
And so this is our third and final picture of what it means to remember your creator. The one who remembers their creator, fears him and obeys him. Chapter 12, verse 13, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man or more literally, this is the wholeness of man. This is man wired up properly. This is mankind living to the full. This is the man not just waiting for the sunset but living. To live the whole human life is to fear God who made that life. To live wholly is to live with the ambition that he must increase And all this, even my life and breath, must decrease. To live holy is to fear God, is to walk as one who is walking before the God of the universe. Every step I take matters, he's watching. Before the one who holds it all together, even my life. Before the one who, and these are wonderful words from Hebrews, the one who shared our humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death and free us who all our lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Fear him, not death. Fear God. This has been the author's theme throughout this book. Now, we saw it back in chapter 5. Do you remember it? When we were told to guard our steps that each one matters, to go near to listen as as the God of heaven speaks, as he instructs you, as he commands you, heed his word, keep his command. And I close with two reasons why we must, if we are to live holy, keep his commands. Here's the first of them. Because everything hangs on how you respond to his word. Even tonight. He is your creator, so his words are very wise. He made you. And he is your judge. His words are those by which your life will be measured, none others. Everything hangs on how you respond to the word of your creator. And finally, because these commands, chapter 12, verse 11, are those of your shepherd. Now we're told in verses 9 to 11 of chapter 12 that the words that we've been reading in Ecclesiastes aren't accidental. They've been very carefully chosen. They're like goads. They're like prods that a shepherd would use to protect the sheep, to guide the sheep home, to keep them going in the right direction. The commands of your God are the words of a shepherd king. Words of one who is leading you home. Now this is how Isaiah put it. It's beautiful. Listen to me, God says. You whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth, even to your old age and grey hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. And so the whole duty of man is to Heed the word of that one, the shepherd. He says, I'm in heaven and you are on earth, so no more futile plans, no more chasing after the wind. These gifts are not your treasure, I am. So follow my voice, obey my commands, don't be afraid, I am leading you out of the valley of the shadow of death. There will come a day when the one from beyond the sun will walk with you as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He will be your shepherd king. His voice is all you need to listen to, for he is leading you up and out of that valley. There will come a day when he will reach down into death and say over you, as he did to the little child in Mark 5, Talitha kum, little child, wake up. Wake up and live. Let's pray.
And Father God, we give you praise that you are indeed our creator, our sustainer, our judge and our shepherd. We pray, Father, that we be those who see uh, the fragility of our lives, uh, the shortness of the time we have, but how good a God you are that you walk with us through all of that and that you will lead us out of the valley of the shadow of death, home to you. And so, Father, have us be those who each day and every day remember you and listen to you and obey you. And we pray this for our great good and your glory. Amen.